The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from sub-China. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking Nigeria, and we're going to take a little bit of a break from the coronavirus coverage that we've been doing every day in our newsletter. If you're interested in following all of the preparations that are underway across Africa for the coronavirus issue, I highly recommend that you subscribe to our daily newsletter, where we are providing by far the most comprehensive coverage of this issue anywhere that you're going to get on this, where we kind of gel it all together. So in the podcast, we're actually going to start looking at some other issues and move beyond the coronavirus story. And today we're going to put our attention on Nigeria. And I have to say that over the 10 years, Koba, since you and I have been doing this podcast, we have not paid enough attention to Nigeria. Today, Nigeria, of course, is the largest economy in Africa. It's the largest country in Africa. And it is increasingly the focus of Chinese engagement in Africa in a number of different ways. But it's also right now at the center of an increasingly acrimonious tussle uh, between the United States and China. That is, the United States itself is trying to challenge China's presence in Africa. The Chinese are now more engaged in, uh, in places like Nigeria and West Africa as a whole. And countries like Nigeria are trying to kind of find their way in this world. Now, Kobus, this came up last week when President Uru Kenyatta of Kenya was in Washington, and he tried to stake a middle ground between the United States and China. And it's a theme that we're hearing more and more from African leaders to say, we don't want to be too closely aligned with China, but at the same time, we want to make sure we're open to everybody else, and we certainly want to remain engaged with the United States. Let's take a listen to what President Kenyatta said at the Atlantic Council in Washington. Indeed, I've noticed in the conversations in Western countries and their counterparts in Asia and the Middle East, a return to competition over Africa. In some cases, weaponizing divisions, pursuing proxy actions, and behaving like Africa is for the taking. Well, I want to tell you it is not. Kobus, there we have it from President Kenyatta giving voice to this idea that African countries do not want a return to the Cold War or previous times when it was a prize. Nigeria is certainly a case for that as well. Yes, it's very much so. Um, and, you know, kind of what we have at the moment is a return to a kind of a Cold War logic, uh, both, I think, in Beijing and in Washington. Um, this kind of idea of a zero-sum competition for influence, you know, where it's, uh, which essentially discounts the idea that, that Africa could work with both the US and China at once. And, you know, starting to really focus on the idea of, of trying to influence Africa to choose one or the other. And, of course, for Africa, that is the worst possible option. Option. You know, Africa wants as many partners as possible. Um, and it's very interesting that Kenyatta was, was pushing back against that so forcefully. So this issue came up in terms of Nigeria because at the beginning of the month and the United States, the Trump administration announced a whole set of new travel restrictions that include Nigeria. When this passed, 
uh, I tweeted out that this was really a gift for China as the way, of course, I see these things in very much sometimes those zero-sum ways of looking at things, which I shouldn't and I need to check myself. But one person who responded to me very quickly was Tolu Ogunlesi, who is a special assistant to President Muhammadu Buhari, uh, the Nigerian president. He's a special assistant on digital and new media issues. Uh, and Tolu joins us on the line from Nigeria. Thank you so much for, for getting up so early for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. It is, and it's great to have you. And let me just read back what you wrote to me when I tweeted out about the travel restriction. I'm not calling it a travel ban because uh, let's be very clear on what this is. This is a suspension on the issuance of immigrant visas specifically. It'll take effect on February 21st. It is not a travel ban in the sense that it's blocking people from getting tourist visas or business visas or coming to the United States. And that's what a lot of people, and I have to admit, I framed it that way early on as well. We have a rebuttal on our website from some U.S. stakeholders who took issue with that. So I want to be very clear. But here's what you said, Tolu. You said, the way I see it, Nigeria will strive to maintain excellent relations with both the U.S. and China. It's not an either or. And regarding the suspension of issuance of immigrant visas to Nigerian passport holders uh, at Nigeria, Gov has committed to addressing U.S. government concerns. Before I let you respond to that in more detail, I want to play you the point of view that I was bringing. And I want to play you some sound. And we don't get to do this very often, but it's from a very popular podcast in the United States called the Slate Political Gab Fest. Uh, and it's one of the most popular political shows uh, in the U.S., hosted by the, the online news site Slate. David Plotz is the host. He actually addressed the Nigeria issue this week in his show, which was kind of a surprise to me because they don't often talk about China-Africa issues. And he, in many ways, articulated what me and other critics of the Trump administration on this policy felt that this was. And I think it'll be great to get your response to it. There's also the economic piece of this, which is this is a squeeze on the world economy. Nigeria is a very big economy and it's the biggest economy in Africa. And we've effectively just given a gift to China. China is making huge inroads in Africa and also Central Asia and also Southeast Asia, all the places where we've now banned uh, immigration. China's already has advantages. It's already doing well without our help, but just further alienating the thriving entrepreneurial economic classes of these countries of Eritrea, Nigeria, and Tanzania, and encouraging, giving them a encouragement to basically go work with Chinese instead is seems like a stupid idea. Seems destructive and, and bad, but you, they don't care. So there's one side of looking at it, Tolu, you don't agree with that. Give us your take on how this all fits together, these pieces, to understand China, the U.S., Nigeria, and the current state of affairs that we're in. Um, you know, so the, the comments uh, you played by President Kenyatta, I, I completely agree with them. Um, for too long, there's it feels like, you know, African countries have tended to be seen as pawns you know, in between, in the middle of um, some Cold War or the other. Um, and it completely, I think, it completely obscures um, the idea of agency on the part of African countries. You know, um, I'm reminded of something that uh, Kwame Nkrumah, the former, the, uh, the first president of Ghana, is quoted as saying, in the 60s, where he said, we face neither east nor west, 
we face forward. Um, and for me, I think that sums up this whole, I mean, my thoughts on the, on the issue. Um, African countries have, it's almost like a buffet. I mean, we, we, we should see it that way where um, we have multiple choices, multiple options, countries to deal with, and we can have uh, dealings with this and that. It's not an either-or. It's not a zero-sum game. Um, and I, as I pointed out in my, in my tweet, we do maintain excellent relations with China and with the U.S. Um, I mean, there will be issues, you know, normal issues will come up, uh, diplomatic issues from time to time. But um, I, I, I think that the Nigerian government does its best to make sure that we maintain good relations and see how best these diplomatic relations can work for the two countries. So China is investing, is supporting a lot of our infrastructure ambitions. The U.S. has been a big player in Nigeria for decades. Um, some of the biggest companies, you know, uh, in oil and gas, in technology, the biggest U.S. companies are all heavily at play in Nigeria. Um, the biggest Chinese companies are heavily at play in Nigeria. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, we shouldn't compare, I mean, we've, we have different relationships with the two countries. The, the, with China, it's, a, it's, it's, um, it's probably not, it's, it's not new, actually. You know, what's interesting, actually, is that today makes it um, uh, 39 years exactly since we established relations with China at the ambassadorial level. The 10th of February, 1971, was when we established relations you know, at, at the level of ambassadors. So it's, it's, it's interesting we're having this conversation exactly 39 years to that day. Um, but with the U.S., obviously, you know, we've had a much older um, relationship. But, but yeah, I, I, I think that it's about dealing with the U.S., dealing with China, dealing with Russia, with everybody, and essentially from the point of view of a Nigeria-first diplomatic agenda. I can definitely see the need, um, you know, for Nigeria to to maintain even relationships with all of these powers. But it, I have to say, it also it, there does seem to me from the outside to have been a kind of a decline in U.S. Nigeria relations, of which this this current ban is only is only one example. I mean, we have the the comments from the Trump administration in, in or from from President Trump himself in 2017, the infamous comments that you know that Nigerians, uh, you know, once they come to the U.S., they won't go back to quote their huts, and then also um, this week, uh, Vox Media. Uh, published a report in which they they showed that that the the Trump administration since those comments in 2017 have been systematically denying short term travel visas to Nigerians. You know, so obviously the the, the current the newly announced um, ban is on residency and work visas. It's not short term travel visas, but in fact de facto there's been a clampdown on short term travel visas from Nigerians to the U.S. as well. And Nigeria faces the highest one of the highest refusal rates of any country in the world. So that seems to be a, a to me a real decline in the relationship. Um, like, what, what do you make of that? Um, well, so th that's, a, well, that's a good point. But, you know, uh, from where I stand, it does feel to me like 
we're in a much us nigeria relations are in a much better place today than they were um five six years ago in 2014. um if you remember we had um we were under the big arms ban by the by the us government by the obama government in you know as of 2014 into 2015. so one of the first things that um president buhari focused on when he uh, assumed office in may of 2015 was actually building back relations with the u.s things were not in a very good shape um and 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 so i i guess there are many multiple dimensions to these things you know um it's legitimate for the u.s to have concerns you know about um nigeria's compliance with certain issues you know uh, which informed which according to the u.s government informed the latest um, decisions but it's also and it's equally legitimate for nigeria to do its best to make sure that those concerns are addressed like i pointed out in my in, in my tweet and um if you if you if you listen to i don't know how much you followed the um u.s nigeria binational commission meeting last week the third and fourth of february in in washington where secretary pompeo and the nigerian uh, minister of foreign affairs uh joffrey Onyema, where they, they they led the two delegations to meet over two days you know i think that the that meeting and the uh conclusion of that meeting and that the outcomes of that meeting show it definitely to not support the idea of um relations falling apart that's definitely the take from the Nigerian side. And, and let me throw a piece of, you know, just an interesting data point out there, because there was a recent survey, I think it was done in uh, last, late last year by the Pew Research Center of measuring, they measured 32 countries of, about their confidence in Donald Trump to do the right thing in world affairs. And Nigerians stood out from almost everybody else that 58% of Nigerian adults said they have confidence in Donald Trump to do the right thing regarding world affairs, compared with a median of 29% across the 32 other countries surveyed by the center. So Donald Trump is very, very popular in, or in much more popular in Nigeria than almost anywhere else in Africa and uh, certainly other parts of the world. The United States culture remains very, very strong and very, very popular in Nigeria. And it's interesting because when uh, the travel restrictions were announced, and as Kobus pointed out, it comes after a long string of insults from the United States towards Nigeria. There wasn't the kind of reaction that I was expecting. And in a lot of other countries, they would be furious about this. And, and again, that's what motivated me to think, and David Plotz on the Slate Political Gabfest, to think, well, this will just push the Nigerians closer to the Chinese who don't say these kinds of things. It's also worth pointing out that when we talk about trade with the U.S. and China. So last in 2018, I looked up some statistics. Um, in 2018, the United States did about $11.3 billion of trade. And, in, and it was evenly split, 50-50, about $5 billion, $6 billion going each way. But what's interesting is that the United States bought $5.4 billion worth of mineral and fuels, 
Uh, and then the next largest category is fertilizers at 43 million. <laughs> so it, there's a huge drop-off that goes on there. China, interestingly, trade has been going up. And uh, 2019, it was about $17 billion. And that seems to be going up. And there's a lot more agricultural exports going from Nigeria to, to China and, and less oil presumably in part because the Chinese have not been able to process Nigerian oil up until recently. So it's not been a major oil supplier. So when we kind of think about where this all fits in the pro-Trump views of so many people in Nigeria, talk to us a little bit about why you think people still remain positive towards the United States when the United States has, again, from a government point of view, issued a number of restrictions and insults and things like that. And why it hasn't necessarily done what I thought it would do, which was to push people towards the Chinese, just in terms of sentiment and leaders feeling that they haven't lost face in terms of dealing with the U.S. and dealing with the Chinese. You know, the Pew survey you talked about, um, I, I'm not sure what, what the sort of survey audiences or targets uh, were. But, you know, we get a lot of those surveys that sort of, um, we'll mention Nigeria, you know, there are the surveys about Nigeria being the happiest nation on earth. There are all of those surveys that, you know, that do not necessarily reflect the actual position of, of things in, in Nigeria. But having said that, um, it's easy to understand why it, um, it, it, it would appear that a lot of Nigerians um, admire um, President Trump. I think the evan there's an evangelical thing at work here. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure, you know, the same way the U.S. is, the same way in the U.S., um, President Trump has a huge following amongst evangelicals. It's not out of place. I mean, if you think of the fact that Nigeria has um, quite a, a, a large Christian population, actually, so we're evenly, almost evenly split between Muslims and, and Christians, um, we've got the largest, for example, um, some of the biggest churches in the world are to be found in Nigeria. Um, Nigeria has the largest population of Anglicans in the world. Um, you know, so it's, I, I think that there are those dynamics at play that may not necessarily explain anything other than what they are. Um, but then, you know, when you speak about insults, sort of, oh, with the U.S. government insulting, there, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes on in the U.S. media, um, and there are a lot of sentiments in the U.S. that I think do not necessarily carry over to the rest of the world. Um, and I think that I find that, I often find that interesting with paying attention to the U.S. media, you know, which, which kind of dominates the world. You know, everybody listens to CNN, listens to the big U U.S. networks, listens, you know, but sometimes it's, it just feels like the U.S. can sometimes be so obsessed, the U.S. media, you know, sometimes can be so obsessed with, like, their own conclusions and their summaries and their ways of viewing things that it doesn't always quite translate into... Um, uh, world opinion so the u.s may feel that donald trump hits um the rest of the world or hits africans and you know may, may have evidence may find evidence for that 
you know, based on, oh, look, he said this, he said that. But for many people in places like Nigeria, in the first place, many people don't even care for a lot of those things. You know, people have a lot of other concerns. Um, if you, I was looking at the numbers for the number of Nigerians who are filled the USI-94 form for 2018, I think that's the form, that's the landing form in the US that you feel when you're landing in the US. And the number was about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was much less than 400,000 people. So, you know, 400,000 people who landed in the US on visiting visas. It may actually have been much less than that, I, you know, but it was definitely not up to 400,000. We've got a population of 180 million people. So when you think about it in terms of the numbers, you know, um, visas or the number of people getting visas or not getting visas may not exactly be a good uh, measure of how Nigerians will feel about the U.S., um, the U.S. decisions on visas, as important as they may be, may not exactly define how the whole of Nigeria, the biggest population in Africa, will feel about the U.S. There are many other things at play. You know, there's, the, um, there's our long affinity with U.S. entertainment. There's our long affinity with Hollywood. There's our long affinity with U.S. technologies, you know, with the, app, you know, with the Apple phones, and devices with you know there's there's so much else at play that i think that is going to take a lot more than decisions on visas or immigration to shift the sentiments that we have about uh about the u.s and it i don't think it means that uh automatically people will once people start to sour on the u.s then oh china is we're going to turn towards China. You know, it, 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 as far as I see, it doesn't just quite work out that way. Um, where, where, where there, there's a huge Nigerian population in China as well. Um, in fact, the New York Times had a piece in 2011 about a Nigerian who became a pop star. Uh, he moved to China, you know, in the late, in the, in the, late 2000s, I think, and by 2011, he was a big pop star. So there's a big and growing Nigerian community, um, but, but it, it probably feels like we are, in terms of um, building stuff with China or getting used to, you know, traveling to China and all that, it, it does feel like maybe we are where we are where we are with China is where we were with U.S. maybe in the 60s when, you know, um, when we started sort of building something with, 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 with the U.S. So it's not, it's not easy to compare both countries, you know, um, in the same way. And I think it's important to understand that. And, and, and again, it goes back to what I said about it's not an either or, you know, we can maintain our relationships with both. In separately and individually without one affecting the other. Hey, Kobus, before we move on from politics, because uh, I want to get to tech to take advantage of, uh, of Tolu's expertise in tech, uh, you have a paper coming out very, very soon on this very issue. Let me get your take uh, on the U.S.-China-Nigeria nexus and, and kind of reflecting a little bit on what Tolu said. It's not even a situation um, that... It's this one on this this kind of one to one equation, you know, kind of where 
where a, a loss of U.S. influence in, in Nigeria necessarily means an increase in Chinese influence. Like, I think we're like I agree with Tolu that that I think we're on different timelines in the in the two relationships, um, and the Chinese relationship is much newer. It's more a situation of this kind, you know. The Nigerian community, as lots of people have pointed out, and the Nigerian community in in the U.S. is in lots of ways uh, a kind of a model immigrant community. You know, they they spent, for example, Nigerians spent half a billion dollars in the U.S. education economy in in uh, 2019 alone. You know, they're incredibly you know highly qualified. Their 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 rate of 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 graduate school um, and bachelor degrees are much much higher than the general U.S. population. Um, they spend a ton of money in the U.S. economy, so it it makes no sense to to kind of focus on them um, or to target them. You know, kind of on any kind of objective grounds, and that the the fact that the Trump administration's um, you know general kind of like way of being in the world is so racialized, um, and that it the Trump one of the big shifts that the Trump administration has brought in is to racialize a lot of of U.S. policies. Uh, you, you know, to 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 an unprecedented degree. You know, things policies that that on on the surface would be simply kind of neutral policies have have been turned into into racial tools. Um, and you know, so so the the point that I was making was that even if there is no necessary, you know, kind of like uh, noticeable uptick in China um, China Nigeria relations in in response to the situation, it still means uh, a kind of an erosion of, of American soft power from the ground. But as Tolu has pointed out, that, you know, American soft power is still very strong, you know, so so that it's not like there's suddenly going to be this kind of like flip to, to a hostile kind of response to the US. But at the same time, there's no way that this can really improve US soft power relations in Nigeria. Um, in, you know, kind of, Tolu, I wanted to, before we move to tech, I just want to ask your, your opinion about how do you see the role of the diaspora community in the U.S. in building the, 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 the Nigeria-U.S. relationship? And we have to point out that the Nigerian community in China has frequently also faced a lot of immigration-related crackdowns, and that Nigeria has, as Nigerians are some of the highest um, foreign populations in Chinese jails, among others because of visa issues. Um, so if you could compare the, the, the role of those two diaspora communities in building these two relationships. Um, I think, the, well, the context to this, of course, is that, you know, Nigeria is um, a huge population. Um, we are, you know, one out of, I don't know, five, five, about five, five six Africans is Nigerian, you know. So we, it, it also means that we are most likely to have the largest, you know, diaspora pop, African populations anywhere um, anywhere in the world. So um, it also means that even in terms of um, ap visa applications and all that stuff, anywhere, you know, Nigeria will typically be near the top of the list. Um, but in terms of the Nigerian diasporas in the US and in China, of course, you know, again, it's about the fact that we've got a much older diaspora population in the US, you know, people who moved... Um, the first Nigerians who studied in the U.S. actually um, started to travel in the in the forties, in the thirties, in the forties. Um, but but 
at that time it was not big you know most nigerians went to the uk for obvious reasons the colonial links and all that you know but but by the 60s there was quite um quite quite a wave you know i i guess you could say you know, there was quite a wave and then by the 80s there were there was a major um exodus of nigerians you know especially in the late 1980s to, to the to the u.s so we have nigerians there who've built communities over decades you know um highly educated you know professionals you know many people's going there to study settling and and, and all that um and you have nigerians you know doing very well you know in in you've started to see nigerians going into politics um so you will every now and then on the internet see the video of a of of someone of nigerian origin running for office as a mayor or something or a city a councillor or something uh, and you know so we have nigerians who have quite you know economic power you know and all of that with with china it's it's again it's much much newer and um you know there are also the issues you know you have to consider linguistic issues that um the us and nigeria both are english speaking countries it's not the same with the us uh, with nigeria and china so there are all of those things that um those nuances that one has to take into into consideration yeah there's no emotional connection with china the way that there is with the us i mean like a feeling you know what i mean exactly i i think yes it, yeah, absolutely. It's it, we we still do not have that. We haven't yet quite got to that. I mean, so there are efforts on both sides. So the Chinese, for example, are opening up uh, Confucius Institutes in Nigeria. Um, the University of Lagos has a has a has an institute, one, one such institute. Um, so the Chinese are, uh, uh, and I think middle class Nigerians. You, it's not unusual to hear converti- conversations about how, look, you know. China is the future and we've got to learn to speak Chinese. You know, if we can't learn, our kids have to learn, you know. So you will hear those conversations at a, sev- at a certain level of, you know, in, in Nigeria, the middle class, upper middle class, people understand. A lot of people also do personal business with China, you know, importing stuff uh, and all. Um, so, but there isn't still quite, it's not the same. I mean, Nigerians go to the U.S. for holidays. They go to the U.S. to have their babies, they, all that. They but, did go to the U.S. to have their babies. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore if the Trump administration no, it's, gets the, its the way. Trump, the Trump <laughs> but, administration already, is already targeting that right now. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, but, but on yeah. this emotional connection, again, let's talk about that because we're going to go into this into the space that's your specialty, which is tech. The, the, the touch points... For the average Nigerian of China, when they get up in the morning, they're going to probably, the first thing they're going to do is put their hands on a techno phone or a transient phone. They're going to, you and I right now, we're talking on a network that very likely was built by the Chinese and Huawei. I mean, there's a, just a very good chance. They might go on a road that's being built or take a, a railway that's being built by the Chinese right now. Uh, the Chinese are talking about investing up to 1,000 megawatts of power into Nigeria over the next few years. Now, that may not be the same as, you know, emotional connection as what you talked about in terms of evangelical religion. It might not be the same as seeing a Nigerian or a Nollywood star on the red carpet at the Oscars. But 
being able to turn on the lights every day and being able to talk on the phone and being able to have this new ecosystem of tech that is really built in many ways on a Chinese infrastructure and a Chinese backend um, is going to bring a new level of excitement. Boomplay, for example, the music service with 62 million subscribers, very popular in West Africa and in Nigeria. Star Times, very popular in Nigeria as well. So we're starting to see maybe a new form of soft power that's coming up, which is infrastructure soft power. People in Nigeria know exactly where this stuff comes from, right? I mean, there's no mystery that it's the Chinese building Boomplay, Techno, Star Times, the roads, all of that stuff. And does that foster some type of excitement in terms of, you know, this the role that the Chinese are playing in their in their daily lives compared to the role that the United States or other countries are playing in people's daily lives? As you said, people are very busy. I get that. You know, when, um, as Nigeria, when we look out sort of to the world, um, it's not unusual that we're looking for models of development. Yeah. Um, you know, people who, so we typically tend to compare ourselves with, the, with a lot of the Asian countries. And why is that? Because in the 60s, when we had got independence, we got independence in 1960. Um, you know, in the, in the early 60s, we were on the same level with a lot of Asian, actually, we were ahead, actually, of many of the um, uh, Asian success stories. You know, the Malaysians. Yeah, you're certainly ahead of China at that time, no doubt. China was desperately poor. Was, we were definitely ahead of China. You know, um, same level with um, the Indonesians, actually, you know, slightly ahead of the Indonesians, the Malaysians, and all of them. And so, um, but, you know, we've seen over the last 50 years, and for China over the last 30 years, you know, China has transformed itself from being way behind, from being behind us to being kind of, in terms of development and technology and innovation and all that, way ahead of us. Um, so it's, when we look out for models of development, we look to countries like China and, and, and the rest of them. We don't look to the U.S., you know, the UK, because, you know, their, their own, I mean, the way we see it, their own development started long before us. It's, you know, it's not, it's, it's difficult to see ourselves in them in that way, you know. So a lot of Nigerians are fascinated by China just because if we wanted to chart a course for how, we want to do how we should be doing certain things, not all things. Um, China is a much more realistic and um, understandable model. In our lifetimes, essentially, we have seen them boom. You know, um, one of the things that has most fascinated Nigerians in the last few weeks has been China building those hospitals. Not um, just Nigerians, but all hospitals. of Africa. So in 10... So <laughs> the, all, of, all of Africa. Let, let me yes, just give yeah, a little explanation yeah. on that so people are not familiar yes. with it, which is that so in Wuhan, at the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, one of the key problems is there just hasn't been enough hospital beds uh, to accommodate the huge numbers of people who have been infected by the coronavirus. And so the Chinese do what the Chinese do, which is they can do big things very fast. They can clear land. They can say hospitals are going there. And they built a thousand beds uh, in about uh, with prefabricated uh, materials 
in about 10 days. And all up and down Africa Twitter, people were just saying it takes us two years, four years, five years, 10 years to build a hospital, particularly in South Africa, Cobus, where this, this is just as chronic. Interestingly enough, I should add that people in the United States were saying the same thing. We can't build hospitals fast or infrastructure fast either. So everybody kind of looked in, uh, in awe at what happened in China for their ability to build those hospitals. No one knows how good they are, but they're certainly good enough. So keep going, Tula. I want to, I want to hear the rest of your point. So, um, you know, so we, we do admire, look up to China for, 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 for that. Um, and, and then to, speaking of the soft power that you talked about, you know, Chinese technologies, you know, Chinese companies are increasingly, you know, uh, playing bigger and bigger. So you have, um, uh, quite interestingly, Jack Ma was in, was in Nigeria and in Ghana at the end of last year. Um, you know, so it's, and it was, it was, it was a big deal. Um, he, he launched, um, his, He's launched a competition for African startups. Uh, the first winner was a Nigerian tech startup in the health space. You know, so in these ways, I like that you mentioned uh, start times. Um, China, you know, Chinese companies are building a lot of... Nigeria is building a new uh, information uh, backbone, telecoms, telecommunications backbone, nationwide stuff that is being built by the Chinese. So it's harder and harder you know, at, at um, big levels, at small levels, to ignore the influence and the impact of China. Chinese phones, as you say, you know, they, there's so much ambition on the part of the Chinese to actually make themselves felt, not just in terms of, you know, building airports and those sort of high-up things, but touching... Um, Nigerian lives in like much simpler, much uh, inescapable day-to-day ways. Um, and I, I understand that for many people in the U.S., um, it's, I think the default tendency is to feel like, oh, look, we're losing, we're losing to the Chinese. We're losing, you know, but it's, it, it, I, I, I just still, go, going back to my first point, I just still think that there is, um, it's not necessarily that, you know, one person's um, uh, advance necessarily means the other person's loss. Um, I think there's a big, Nigeria is a fast, you know, is, is a huge population with a lot of economic potential. And I think that it's still very possible, it's still very possible for us to, um, to, accept Chinese soft power whilst not diminishing, whilst not allowing our views of the U.S. soft power to diminish in any way. I, I, you know, I hope that makes sense. But yeah, that, 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 that's my thinking. Um, but I must acknowledge, of course, that yes, Chinese soft power is on the rise in Nigeria, all over the continent, you know. But I, I, don't, I don't think that it has in any way threatened American soft power, at least not yet. If we um, turn our conversation to tech, um, how, you know, obviously Nigeria has a, has a really has a burgeoning tech sector, and it's it's recently got a very big investment, uh, venture capital investment, both from the West and from China. Like last year was a banner year for both of those for investments in in. Cobus, go ahead. 
Can I just quickly run through the Go numbers ahead. just to set up your question here? Because I have them right in front of me. So last year, uh, Nigeria, there was a total of $1.34 billion in venture capital that went to all of Africa. About 75% of that uh, went to either Nigeria, Kenya, or South Africa. And Nigeria led investments with $663 million. So Nigeria is the epicenter of this new tech boom. Go on. Um, how do you think this, the, the current restrictions on travel and particularly the current restrictions on working in the US um, is going to affect tech cooperation? Because obviously, in, in theory, you know, I think a lot of tech people would say, well, you know, kind of remote, remote cooperation is, you know, kind of offers a, a lot of options. But, but we know, you know, kind of in the first place that, that connecting, you know, remotely from Africa can sometimes be complicated, you know, as, as people who continuously record with Africans across very shaky phone lines, you know, we, we know that. But also, you know, US tech companies have satellite offices in lots of places, you know, Facebook has, has, has large offices in Johannesburg, for example. Um, so how, how is this block on, on working together, and particularly for Nigerians working in places? Places like Silicon Valley, how is it going to affect this kind of cooperation? Um, well, you know, it's it's. I guess it's still too. It's still somewhat early to to um, estimate or dimension like the full impact um, of 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 what's happening. But you know, it stuff that you've built over a long time. Um, I think it will take time for. Uh, it will take time for 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 stuff like this to be dismantled or to be undermined. Um, U.S. companies, as I said earlier, have a long history of investing in Nigeria, working in Nigeria. Um, Microsoft is building a you know fairly big development, you know center engineering software center in 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 uh, nigeria and in kenya uh andela you know is has its you know bases in nigeria and kenya um it's it's there's a whole lot of that investment that i think is going to continue i think that 2020 is you know will is showing all signs of that it will be um an even more bumper year than 2019 because Nigeria has potential. There is, um, so we've got a huge talented population of young people looking for opportunities. And these opportunities are often to be found all over the world. We have um, companies in the U.S. You know, it's, these are needs meeting. It's, it's not, I don't think the U.S. is investing in Nigeria just because, oh, look, it feels like it needs to, we, we want to help these people. The U.S. needs to be putting money in Nigeria, needs to be um, uh, using Nigerian talent, needs to be, you know, there's a need basis to all of these things. So it's, I don't think that um, a visa policy decision which, which, um, if 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 conversations between the two countries are, you know, going by conversations between the two countries, which will not be permanent, which you know should be lifted as soon as Nigeria is able to fully address U.S. concerns, I'm not sure that is going to significantly at this time impact the flow of investment and technology cooperation between the two countries. 
So you're right. Last year was uh, a really incredible year for venture capital investment, and especially in Nigeria. And it took a lot of people by surprise that a big part of those deals, at least a quarter of a billion almost, was uh, came from China. In particular, there were two deals in the fintech space, one for Pompeii that included uh, Transins, that's the, the phone companies, their, their venture arm, and then the other one for Opay. Opay raised somewhere around $190 million in two rounds, $120 million, or I'm sorry, $170 million, uh, a 120 round and then a 50 round. So did, it, it surprised a lot of us that in the second half of last year, we saw this big surge of Chinese investment. As somebody who advises the president, you look at the tech space quite closely. Did you, were you surprised that the Chinese came in as quickly as they did with, this, with the kind of money that they did? Or had you seen this building up to the point when the announcements came, you were expecting it? Well, no, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing surprising in, um, in, 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 in that. You know, I think it's the same hospital in 10 days. Um, it's what we've come to know the Chinese for. You know, they, they do that. They, 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 they build fast. They move fast. They move ambitiously. Um, and, and, and they just get stuff done. It's, it's interesting. I was speaking with somebody a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, Uber has been in Nigeria for a few years. Um, they are in probably only four cities so far in Nigeria. You know, the four, yeah, about four cities, I think. The biggest, no more than four cities. Um, Ope, amongst his many investments in Nigeria, it's gone into the um, right-hailing, you know, so they've got um, an Uber competitor. And I believe they launched last year or the year before and they are now in well over a dozen cities. I mean, so that's just to give some kind of comparison as to... Um, so you, do, you get the sense that um, the Americans are a lot more cautious, you know. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the culture, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's, um, it's governance um, limitations and all that stuff. But for the Chinese... It feels like you know they they are still in a very in a much more experimental phase with Nigeria with Africa, and they will move you know quickly and and um, and it 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 helps that they they it helps that I think their businesses can tend to find it easy to follow their governments. So if the governments are ambitious, you know China is building so much. Doing huge airport, railway, um, power, power, pipelines projects in Nigeria, that I think it it also makes it easier for Chinese businesses to follow. Um, so it's it's you see a lot of enthusiasm on the part of government, state-owned companies, private businesses, and you know I but I, but. I'm not sure for how long that will be. Will, will, will there be a point when the Chinese get jaded? You know, will there be a point when um, the enthusiasm slows down? I don't know for sure. It may, you know, it may happen. It may be that it, that's how it happens. That's, the, that's how it, it should happen. You know, but for now, I think that the Chinese and, um, you know, and Chinese business, Chinese technology is in a, it's a honeymoon phase of sorts with Africa. 
that's how I'll put it. It's a honeymoon phase, and um, you know, we'll see how long that will last. So, looking forward, we we've seen um, we've seen a lot of um, of Chinese investment in in Nigerian fintech. Um, where do you see the next bout of investment? Which other tech sectors in Nigeria look promising for for external investment um, from your perspective? Well, so you know, when you think of our population, there's almost um, there's almost no no sector um, of, of 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 Nigeria that does not have the numbers, you know that that speak you know that speak to potential but yeah so you're correct fintech fintech has been huge logistics has also been quite has, has also been been um attracted a lot of investment um uh, but i i think that um you know education healthcare are going to be i mean they may they may not seem as uh, commercially um attractive at this point but when you think of how much, when you think of the fact that you know healthcare, education, basic human necessities, Nigeria has, you know, half of our population of that population of one eighty million, is below, uh, twenty is below the age of twenty. So we have one of the youngest populations in the world. Um, um, we have a high birth rate, you know. So healthcare, education, huge are going to be. I think are going to get um a lot of attention a lot of um a lot a lot more attention actually um and possibly with you know with you've got nigerians as some of the largest populations of students anywhere in the world you know in the u.s in canada in china everywhere education is something that nigerians take quite seriously you know which also um, explains why a huge percentage of nigerian diaspora in the u.s is you know, hugely educated, master's level and above. Um, so I, I, I think that, um, you know, education, healthcare will be big, um, or te- education and healthcare, mid technology will be big investment spaces, you know, but the fintech, the, the, the fintech um, explosion is going to continue for a while. Um, also because Nige- uh, the, the, the government here in Nigeria is, is, is I think starting to warm up you know, to the idea of um, opening up that space, you know, for 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 young talent, for for innovation. So we're going to see quite a bit, a bit more. The 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 fintech revolution is not going to slow down anytime soon. Logistics won't slow down anytime soon. But we will be seeing um, the others, healthcare, education, and we will of course be seeing a lot more competition. I think between sort of. Um, venture capital from China and, you know, from the U.S. and elsewhere. The U.K. as well is also actively, actively um, trying to, you know, assert itself in that space. Now, for anybody in China or in the U.S. or in the U.K., it's easy to see it as a competition. For people in Nigeria, it's the best of times for us, you know. Um, It's a big opportunity. We will get, you know, we will take investment from anywhere in the world, you know, because, you know, it means the investments mean, they mean jobs, they mean um, prosperity, they mean uh, talent development, capacity building, you know, so for us, it's the best of times, the best of all worlds. Nigeria is open for business. And of course, you are 
blessed with that huge consumer market that is the big pull for for retail brands to come to Nigeria. They don't have to go to the entire continent. There is no pan-African strategy for most companies. There is a country strategy, and that allows Nigeria to have a big advantage over other countries because you've got a 200 million person market there, a big, big market. So uh, listen, Tolu Ogonesi, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us, to talk politics, tech, all of this. It is really exciting to hear what's happening. And it's exciting to see that, again, you, like the Kenyans, like others, want to kind of find your own space in between the United States and China. Uh, You are a special assistant to President Buhari on digital and new media issues. And you are also very, very popular on Twitter with more than a half a million followers. Tell everybody where they can find you if they want to follow what you're reading and writing these days. Uh, well, yeah, so, so, uh, I, I tend to live, you know, a, a, a good part of my life on Twitter at Tolu Ogunlesi. So, you know, I, I, you'll catch me there talking all things Nigeria, you know, Africa. And, um, yeah, following quite a... Following a lot of what's going on in the in the in the US um, as well, I know it's a it's a big year for you, you know, for well for the US with elections. Um, yeah, so and it's a big year for uh, China too with what's for, going yeah. on over there. So <laughs> yeah. so it'll be interesting, and so I will continue to follow uh, follow you and everything that you do, and I hope that everybody else does. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Kobus, the most interesting takeaway, it again, is this idea that it's not a zero-sum game. And I think that is the mistake that I make and that a lot of people in the in the U.S. and Europe make when we look at the geopolitical chessboard that U.S.'s loss is China's gain, China's loss is the U.S. gain. It, it's not that simple. And it goes back to this very this emotive power that the United States has in places like Nigeria. And it can't be overstated how important that is. And I think Tolu really gave voice to that. And and I think that's a currency that the United States has. It doesn't necessarily appreciate that it has it. I find that it is abusing it of late, but it certainly is there. How much longer it will be there, Tolu did point out that, you, you know, it does fade in time if you don't nurture these relationships. But for now, the United States seems very strong and, and stable in Nigeria. What was interesting for me is the his general kind of optimistic vibe, um, and you know I, th- I think the for looking from the outside, one frequently th- there is a kind of assumption um, that that the kind of investment and political influence uh, from either the US or from China that is that they're kind of like a like a kind of oxygen you know and that when when these lines these relationships are are made more difficult as in the case with the with the US at the moment that that is kind of like Africa being deprived of oxygen in a way um, and it's it is quite interesting and, and kind of inspiring to 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 speak with with someone like Tolu and to to be reminded that no like Nigeria is doing fine you know it'll 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 be it'll be okay you know kind of and that that even if even if this relationship declines Nigeria will still be okay um you know so so in that sense it's it, it is a kind of an interesting glimpse into a country that will I think in the future become the leader of Africa in lots of ways it really is the leader of Africa and it is this kind of innovation center you know for tech in Africa and as I think as that takes on critical mass the the importance of even relationships massive relationships like with the US and China will start becoming more secondary I think. 
So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. We are back every week with a new show, but every day we're doing uh, basically a, a, a version of this show, but 10 times larger in our daily email newsletter. That's available to our subscribers. Uh, if you've made it to this far in the show, you are committed and dedicated to the China-Africa space. Uh, we really want to invite you to try it out. Come to our website. We'll give you a two-week free trial to see if you like what you're getting every day with the newsletter that we're putting out. We're very, very proud of it. It's really the only independent journalistic news source dedicated to China-Africa issues that you'll find anywhere that does every single day uh, a thorough analysis of issues like uh, what we talked about today in politics and tech and speaking with people like Tolu. So we invite you to join us. Uh, come to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. So until next week, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.